Well, good morning. Man, what a sweet time of worship that was. I got, I got here in time to hear the last two songs. And man, would you, you know, one of the things I think is important sometimes, we just need to acknowledge the folks that help lead us to worship. And I want you to know before you do that it's way more than just the folks that are up here on the stage lead us in worship. It's my friends that are back there running lights and running sound and camera. And in that booth back there on computers or video, it's all of them. Would you say thank you to them? You know, so many times, most of the time I'm up on stage doing the musical portion of our worship and man, what a blessing to get to come in and, and just hear it out there. And so I'm praying that God's going to speak to us today. We're continuing our series. I want you to turn in your scriptures to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and we're going to study verses 1 through 10 and a few other passages as well. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, it will be on the screen for you this morning. But let's jump right in. Let's, let's read this passage and see what it says. John 2, verses 1 through 10. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What is this concern of yours to do with me, woman, Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Many of you know that this is Jesus's first miracle, and it shows us several things about who Jesus is. I love the fact that it shows us he's not a recluse. He's accepted a social invitation, and he's hanging out at a wedding feast shows us his humility. He performed a pretty amazing miracle. And as far as this passage tells us, just his mother, him, and the servants knew about it. The head waiter didn't know about it. And then it also shows us that he always does more than we ask, think, or imagine. Now, he is there with his mother and six disciples, and it's important for us to know that Jewish wedding feast usually lasts a week. And studying this week... I didn't, I didn't actually know this part, but the groom was responsible for all the provisions. So he had to have the food and the wine. That was his responsibility. So if he would have run out of wine, that would have been really embarrassing for him. But here's the thing I didn't know. When I looked at it, in Jewish culture, he could have actually been fined financially for running out of wine. So he stood to lose both socially and financially. So the wine runs out, and Mary, his mother, who is aware of who Jesus is, approaches him with the problem. She says the wine's run out. She didn't tell him what to do. She just reported the problem. And I got to, 
I just got to tell you, like, this is my ADD brain. Sometimes when I read this passage, it makes me cringe a little bit um, when I read it uh, because of what Jesus says to his mom. Listen to this. He says, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but in the culture that I grew up in, and my sweet mother's sitting right over here, if I'd have walked up to my mom and said, woman... I promise you I'd have been picking myself up off the ground, all right? So that's always bothered me just a little bit. So I studied a little bit. Contextually, I want you to know that it's just our translation, all right? It's just our translation. It was very respectful what he said to his mother. But if you're like me and can't get past that, that page, now, now you know, all right? So he was being respectful to his mother. He was asking her why she was getting him involved, knowing that his hour had not yet come because he is operating on a heavenly timetable, not a human timetable. But see, that's the amazing thing about this miracle. Mary didn't ask him to make something happen. She just informed him. She was willing to let her son do whatever he wanted, and she trusted that he would do whatever is best. And this is where she utters the statement that we're going to focus on today. She looks at the servants, and she says, do whatever he tells you. Today, we continue our series called Whatever It Takes. Last week, we talked about how if we want to be a church that does whatever it takes to develop disciples of Jesus Christ, then we have to do whatever the Word of God says. The Bible is our standard, our true north. Today, we're going to look closely at those words of Mary from this account of Jesus' miracle. If we want to be a church that does whatever it takes to develop disciples of Jesus, then we have to do whatever Jesus says. So that's the main point of our message today. Do whatever Jesus says. So as the band comes back up, we're going to pray and we're going to (laughs) close. Don't you wish, right? Uh, I got a woo over there. That's it. Get to lunch early, right? It sounds simple, right? Do whatever Jesus says. But I want us to dig into the what, the when, the why and the how of doing whatever Jesus says. So our main point, yes, do whatever Jesus says. But what does he say? What does he say? Jesus has a lot to say. And we're not going to get to all of it today in Scripture. But simply put, here's what I want you to think about. When Jesus says something to us, there's almost always a paradigm shift. When Jesus says something to us, there's almost always a paradigm shift. If Jesus tells you something, chances are it is not the status quo. Think about this passage that we just read. What he says doesn't seem to fit the situation. He's been told they're out of wine, so what does he do? He looks at six giant water containers, and he says, fill the jars with water. Uh, No, no, Jesus, we're out of wine. Fill the jars with water. Now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. None of it makes sense. But Jesus was operating in his paradigm, not theirs. So I want you to write this down. When Jesus speaks, my paradigm shifts. When Jesus speaks, my paradigm shifts. Now, you may be wondering what a paradigm shift is. So I, wanna, I went and looked it up. What does our secular world say that a paradigm shift is? It's a major change in the concepts and practices of how something works or is accomplished. So simply put, 
Our paradigm is how we see the world, how we understand it to work. When Jesus speaks, that shifts. An incredible example of paradigm shift is found by what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. There's some incredible examples in there, and I want you to listen to just a few of them. Like I said, we're not, not going to get to all of them. The Beatitudes, you've heard of those, Matthew 5. Listen to these paradigm shifters. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. All paradigm-shifting statements that Jesus said. That's some of what he said. Then he gives us several, you have heard it said, but I tell you statements. Man, you want to talk about paradigm shifters, listen to these examples. You have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You have heard it said to your ancestors, you must not break your oath. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Either by heaven because it is God's throne or by earth because it is his footstool. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. Paradigm shifter. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And finally, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We could go on and on, but look how Jesus turns everything upside down when he speaks his ways are not our ways his words are not our words but he wants to change us to look and sound like him he wants to change us so i must choose to submit to whatever jesus says it is that posture of submission that's on me that's what i have to choose to do so that's some of what jesus says like i said it's not all that's some straight out of scripture. There's other ways that he speaks. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So when should I do whatever Jesus says? Once we hear the voice of Jesus, we're faced with a simple choice. Do it or don't do it. If you're a parent, I, or at least I think you have, you've said to your kid, I don't have to explain it. I just need you to do it. Right? Or maybe you've heard that as a kid. But why, mom? Just do it, right? So when we hear Jesus speak, we have a choice. Do it or don't do it. In our passage today, the servants had that same choice. Verse 7 says, fill the jars with water, Jesus told them, so they filled them to the brim. He spoke, they acted. 
Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. He spoke. They acted. They did it. Another example in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus is calling his disciples. Verse 16 says, as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, I don't want you to think that every example in Scripture is of people saying yes, because it's not. There's plenty of examples where folks said, no, that's not for me. The rich young ruler is a great example of someone who rejected the words of Jesus. Matthew 19, verse 20, listen to this account. If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go, sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. A simple choice. Do it or don't do it. Write this down. When Jesus speaks, the time to respond is now. When you know that Jesus has told you to do something, then it's on us to respond and do what he says. So the what, the when. But when we hear the voice of Jesus, we have no choice to respond. I just think it's super important for us to get to the why behind obeying Jesus' words. So this could be a whole sermon in and of itself. Why do we follow what Jesus says? But I think it boils down to one question for us this morning. Do I want to live in wisdom or foolishness? Do I want to live in wisdom or foolishness? Matthew chapter 7 again. This passage, man, this, this might be the one that hit me the hardest this week. Listen to this. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Wisdom or foolishness. Notice the clear directive from Jesus. Wisdom comes from, to those who do what Jesus says and then foolishness comes to those who hear what he says and don't do it. So do you want to live in wisdom or foolishness? I love that it's that simple. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Simple and easy are two different things. Do what he says, you live under his wisdom and protection, but that is the real issue for us. It's the human dilemma that we face. I want you to write this down. Do I really believe Jesus' way is better? Do I really believe Jesus' way is better? We say that a lot. We sing about it. But is that what we believe? And I want to be clear that 
the truth is that doing what Jesus says is often not the easiest thing for us to do. Doing what Jesus says does not mean that everything will go our way. It doesn't mean that we will be happy for the rest of our lives. If you've been told that, you've been lied to. But we will be living under his wisdom and his protection. I want you to get this. This is, this is the thing that got me this week. Twice in the passage we just read, it says, The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. The same storm hit two houses. You don't get to avoid storms because you do what Jesus says. Storms are coming. Whew. It's heavy, right? But we can live under his wisdom and protection if we will do it. The words that come after that storm hits, that's the difference. For the first house, it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. For the second house, it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. So powerful to think about that. So why do what he says? Because his way is full of godly wisdom. His way is better. It really is. So let's get to the how. How do I do whatever Jesus says? I think it's just important for us to get to practical application every time we, we open God's word. Well, how do I make this happen in my life? Well, we talked a lot about what we would need to do, how we do it, how we do what Jesus says last week. We talked about it, the Bible, right? It's our standard. And so many of Jesus' words are recorded there. It is for sure the place to start and spend most of our time. But then, of course, we have to pray. We have to talk to him. We have to listen. And this is where I want us to focus for just a minute. We must know his voice. How do you do what he says? Well, you have to start by knowing his voice. In our world today, there are many voices crying out for our attention. And it can be really hard to discern the voice of Jesus among everything else. And just as a side note, our life group studies this week are going to talk about knowing the voice of Jesus. And if you're not in a life group, man, I want to encourage you to get there because that's where we go deep in conversation. It's where we build relationships. We live life together. And like I said, this week we're going to talk about knowing the voice of God. For today, the bottom line for us in this room this morning is that in order to do what Jesus says, we've got to know the voice of Jesus. And I think it's important for us to recognize that we're wired a certain way. And that is that we don't trust what we don't know. We don't trust what we don't know. So it is critical that we know Jesus, that we know his voice. We have to spend time in God's word and in prayer, in silence, in stillness, in meditation, to know the voice of Jesus. That's the only way we learn his voice. Because not every situation or circumstance that we face is spelled out in a step-by-step -step process in Scripture. Don't you wish it was? I do. That would make things a whole lot easier if I could just go look up what I needed to do. It reminds me a lot of how I got to Nashville. If you don't know, I'd be happy to tell you that I was born and raised in Texas. I'm a Texas guy. Yeah. I still believe, I'm about to get booed, I still believe that Texas is the real UT. 
Okay, I still believe that. <laughs> Thank you, Brenda. I appreciate that. But here's the good news is we can both we can both get together and talk about the woes of our football teams together, okay? Like Tennessee, Texas, it's just been rough, right? So 2002, I clearly feel that God is telling me, leading me to move to Nashville. Prayer, reading, meditating on the word, conversation with wise, godly people helped me get to that spot. Because in my Bible... The verse, uh, Aaron Loy moved to Nashville, is not found. <laughs> I don't see that anywhere. You probably don't either. So that's not a circumstance that's directly in Scripture, right? But God can still lead. He tells us where to go, right? He guides our steps. So how did I know that it was the Lord's voice leading me? Well, I want to be honest with you here and just tell you that it took time. I think it's easy to come up and say a message like this where the, where the main point is do whatever Jesus says. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It can take some time. Of course, when we know what he says, we have to do it. We already talked about that. But it can take some time. And so my time with God had to happen consistently. It's the only way I could know for sure that he was the one that was leading me. That's true for each one of us. If you're in a situation where you're not sure what to do, your time with the Lord has to be the priority so that you can hear from him. So once I knew that God was telling me to move, I made quick plans, and I moved to Nashville in November of 2002, leaving behind the great state of Texas, my family, my friends, and a girlfriend that I'd been dating for about eight months. And I wish I could tell you that once I moved, everything went perfectly um, just because I did what Jesus told me to do. But remember what we just said. The same storm hit two houses, right? The storms were coming. I was, dealt, I was dealing with storms that I'd never really dealt with before. The first one, I'll never forget, I, was, I had an uh, apartment at Nolensville Road in Old Hickory over there, and it was 580 square feet. I mean, it was roomy. It was uh, about the size of, of uh, two offices or something like that. So I'll never forget sitting there, um, looking out my back window, watching my parents, who had helped me move in, drive off. And in those few minutes after that, man, it hit me. Just tears filled my eyes. For the very first time in my life, I was lonely. I just didn't know many people here. I had a couple of acquaintances. But I was lonely. It's hard. To add to that, the girlfriend I mentioned a second ago, uh, she broke up with me via text message two weeks later. Text message, yes, I said that right. Never saw her again, never talked to her again. The loneliness pounded me right then. I was doing all I could to try and make friends, but it was hard for me. Many other storms happened. One of them was I got a job as a security guard. And there's nothing wrong with being a security guard, but it was not my passion. I hated it. I hated it. I just hated it, you know? And it was, it was not what I wanted to do. I know you're looking at me going, well, it makes sense that you were a security guard with all that muscle up there. But that, it was not my passion still. But probably, probably the, the biggest storm that hit me was five months after I moved here. I went back home, and I was going, going there to celebrate my birthday. And so while I was there... My dad had a massive heart attack, and let's, 
it's a story for another day, but I, I want you to know that God miraculously saved his life. Miraculously saved his life. You heard him preach last week. He's sitting right there. God did something really cool that we get to still have him around right now. So that's another story. But that was a straw that broke the camel's back for me. So sitting in his hospital room a couple days afterwards while he was recovering, I looked at him and I said, I'm done. I'm coming back home. I'm not going to be 684 miles away from you. I'm not going to be 684 miles away from my friends or from the girl that just dumped me via text message. I'm not doing it, Dad. And he said something in those moments that stuck with me forever. And I think it's important for us. When we say yes to Jesus, we don't get to dodge the storm. We have to know his voice so we know how to say yes. But dad looked at me in his hospital room and he said, said this phrase. Circumstances don't change the will of God. Ouch. Circumstances don't change the will of God. What did I know? God had clearly called me to move to Nashville. I didn't like the storm that I was walking through at that moment. But it didn't change the fact that God had clearly called me to move to Nashville. So I had to deal with that. What I didn't tell you was that the first person that I met when I moved to Nashville was Kara, my wife. And we met because somebody, we had a mutual friend, and they introduced us via uh, email. And so I found out that she was leading worship down at Brentwood Baptist. I went to a service over there, and I met her afterwards, and I need you to know that it was not love at first sight. <laughs> it took her a little bit of time to realize what a blessing I would be in her life. <laughs> she heckled me at the other service and said, I'm still trying to figure that out right now. So, um, but it wasn't love at first sight, but we didn't know that that was divine. You see, Kara had been called to Nashville about two months before I got there in a very similar way. So, Neither of us knew that we would get married. We certainly didn't know when we first met. But God did. It was part of his plan. And I want you to know that, yes, storms and many happy days have happened since then. But the truth is that God's plan for me was to move here, to meet Kara and to marry her, to begin working as a part-time worship leader in this church in 2004. To have four beautiful children, to develop deep friendships, and to eventually have all of my family that I left behind move up here and live in this area. So did God bring back some of the things I missed? He did. But was it easy to get there? It wasn't. We don't get to dodge storms, but it's so important for us to do what he says. None of those things that I just mentioned happen if I don't do what Jesus told me to do. So that's true for all of us. To get us where he's trying to get us, we have to do what he says. And the only way that I can do what he says is to know his voice. So how do you do what he says? You know his voice and you listen to it. So some thoughts for today's message. I want to ask the band to come on back up. We're going to respond to what God said to us here this morning. First question is, do you know Jesus' voice? Do you know his voice? And maybe, maybe the question needs to be, do you know Jesus? It has to start there. 
I want you to know if you, if you are not sure about that, man, we'd love to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus. I can tell you it's the best decision I've ever made. What is Jesus saying to you? Right now, today, what is Jesus saying to you? Is there something that Jesus has said to you that you've not done yet? If that's true, man, I want to encourage you, even if it seems like the hardest thing you'll ever do, say yes to Jesus. Why? Because his way is full of wisdom and protection, and when the storms come, the house won't fall down. Do you really believe that Jesus' way is better? Do you really believe that this morning? So yeah, we're going to sing, but I want you to respond to Jesus today. Do whatever he says. So the altar is going to be open. If you want to come and pray, you can do that. Maybe you just need to sing. Maybe you need to listen. Whatever he's leading you to do in this time, please do that. Let's pray together and then we'll respond. God, we say thank you today that your word is good, it's powerful, it hits home. God, when I think about the words of Mary, do whatever he says. God, would you help us to be a people that do what you say, both individually and as a body of believers that gather here. Help us to have the courage to do exactly what you say. God, maybe there's someone in this room that, that knows that you've been telling them to do something and they haven't done it yet. Would you help them today to say yes to you? God, would you remind us that your way is better even if we are walking through storms? Your way is better. God, we are in deep need of you. So today we choose to respond what you've said to us. God, we worship you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship.